0: W Media.
1: Welcome to Feminist Buzzkills Kills Live, the show that is. So- still buzzed from the fumes of Madison Cawthorn being left in the political dust in a pile of push-up bras and Nazi memorabilia. I'm Liz Winstead, and as always, I'm joined by my co-hosts,
2: Moji Alawodale and Marie Khan. Hey, y'all. Coming up, we're going to talk about the baby formula crisis and the concept of abortion as an economic issue. We're going to talk with Panam Dreyfus Pai, Deputy Director of All Options, an organization providing compassionate care, And resources for whatever your desired pregnancy outcome
1: plus from amazon search party and the comedy special yearly departed we'll take a much-needed comedy break with national treasure aparna nancharla aparna joins us to talk about what's been keeping her busy what's been keeping her up at night and how she navigates life through the glitter bomb of oppression that has just dropped and of course we're going to hit some of the news that happened this week including the breaking news out of Oklahoma as we are recording this, that the state of Oklahoma is about to sign an abortion ban that will prohibit abortion at, quote, fertilization. When the bill is signed, it will go into effect immediately, making it the most oppressive abortion ban in the nation. I just want to say that the second most oppressive abortion ban – was also the one that they passed two weeks ago. And the most oppressive before that is the one they passed a month ago. So they are in the one, two, and three slots of oppression. It's like, how bad of a winner are you? (laughs) Uh, But I also just want to point out that if you are literally now banning abortion at fertilization, you are banning banning abortion before you are pregnant you cannot you you, i I, i'm welcome to america and so as we talk about this we're just gonna turn abortion over to the states it's like
2: are you is that what the states are up to because this is what the
1: states are up to and so so it wasn't all bad news i don't want like this was a very like nancy negative thing but like it wasn't all bad news there was actually if I'm reading this correctly, a win in Michigan. Marie, am I reading that right? Mm,
0: yes. Yes, you are. We have Woo! some good news out of Michigan. A state with a decent grade in abortion access. They have over two dozen clinics in the lower Mitten, So definitely by no means perfect and ignoring the upper peninsula. As though we are facing the fall of Roe, conservatives in that state voiced plans to revive a dormant zombie law from 1931 which in this case would make any abortion a felony unless it's done to protect the life of the pregnant person, which naturally doesn't include rape and incest. Those those just don't count. Um, And it would criminalize selling or advertising medications that could induce an abortion. So there you go, telemedicine. And thankfully, however, Michiganders have been shielded from this law um, coming back into play. Judge Elizabeth Gleischer granted a preliminary injunction earlier this week. Hold up. A what, Marie? Oh, a that, what? I mean,
2: preliminary injunction is, it's our vocabulary word for this week.
0: Marie, what is a preliminary injunction? Preliminary injunction is a pretrial court order that stops or sometimes mandates an action by the other party. So basically it says the status quo gets to continue and be maintained while a judge looks at the situation and rules on it. Oh
1: cool. So it's a temporary stay if Roe gets overturned, this law won't kick out into effect until the the courts decide.
0: Exactly, exactly. And this is a huge win for the Midwest in particular um and in like I'm like singularly incredibly happy out of it um cuz working out of the Midwest specifically, the states people look at that they can get support in that are constitutionally protected or are protected at a level where we're, we're less worried are uh, Minnesota, Illinois, and Kansas. Well, Michigan, this is a huge, this is a state that we were thinking we were going to see about 30,000 abortion seekers projected to come leave from. And this is just, it's just terrifying. Like there, there's not enough clinics already in appointments to support people staying somewhat within their part of the country. And if Michigan would go dark, it would be, it would be catastrophic for people trying to access care. Wow. So the So the plan now is that um, there's work getting there's work to get signatures down to put this on a constitutional ballot measure measure in November's election to make abortion rights a state right. And so this is like a this is a beautiful conjoining and unifying of different efforts by different parties in the state. Planned Parenthood brought the lawsuit forward. The ACLU helped support it. Gretchen Whitmer, Michigan's governor right now, you might remember, um, because a bunch of men. Kidnapped her. Attempted to kidnap her. Yeah. She has a plan to. She has a lawsuit um, that she's filed to the Michigan Supreme Court asking them to make abortion a right. So this is really all aspects that can be taken by a state. We're, We're seeing them actively being taken by Michigan right now to try to preserve what's there and to to um, hopefully create a situation for advancement, having it enshrined in their uh, constitution. So we—that that is an election we have to watch. I know Moji said earlier about voting, like that ballot measures, we got to watch them.
2: Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <sighs> they happen while you vote. So if you're not voting, you can't comment on the ballot measures. That's yes. right.
1: Yeah. Um, it sounds really good. And I'm guessing that states, this, this can only happen in states where you have an attorney general that is, you know, abortion forward is not Daniel Cameron. It's not Daniel Cameron. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So I'm looking (laughs) at you, Keith Ellison in Minnesota. Um, there's some laws on the books in Minnesota that I feel like let's get a, let's get a preliminary injunction. See, I use the word, uh, in Minnesota on some of those zombie laws. Um, and, uh, I feel like that this is really exciting for Michigan. Awesome. Awesome. Yeah,
2: this is the kind of Democratic um, sort of looking forward. Like, okay, we've seen the leak draft. We have an idea of what's going to happen. This is the kind of action that I think our Democratic uh, governors and attorneys generals should be out here um, doing to protect uh, access in places that it might be threatened.
1: That's right. And I think like looking at all these avenues, because we are in. Tone deaf times like watching this house conversation and watching the people who defend abortion access from the elected official position, um, having it feel slightly stilted, having it feel a little bit um, uneducated and then having all of these laws then go to the states where that's only that uneducated piece is just amplified. And then watching this week also, you know, the last thing we're going to talk about that's going to dovetail nicely into our guest is uh, Secretary of the Treasury Janet Yellen spoke before the Senate, uh, a Senate subcommittee about uh, abortion as an economic issue. And when she was literally laying out why abortion and and pregnancy and parenting is an economic issue, the heads of these senators Literally, they did one of those dog huh? side tilts, all at the same time. It, they could not grasp the the that abortion is an economic issue. In fact, Tim Scott responded to Janet Yellen's comment that a reduction in abortions will be very damaging to the economy, meaning that it could be terrifying for people to be forced into pregnancy and parenting taking them out of a job market, um, and all of that stuff is really harming. He was absolutely outraged. When she, so she actually said, denying women access to abortion increases their odds of living in poverty or need for public as- assistance. And he was like, he, who, by the way, is the only black Republican in the Senate, said, to make it sound like it's just another 0.4% added to our labor participation rate is the result of abortion just seems harsh. And it's like, I'm sorry, dude. Do you know what's harsh? Trying to decide where you're going to get your formula, how you're going to feed your family,
2: how you're going to pay your heating and medical bills, and how you're going to pay your rent. That's harsh. Well, you know, if if all you're concerned with is the sanctity of fetal life, then these sort of pedestrian concerns like how you know people living and breathing live and breathe is just can start to feel, you know, more, more um. Uh, less important <clears> yeah I
1: mean and like also what's the phrase like we're running our, our, our supply chain of, of American babies is uh, uh, the national infant supply what is yeah. it the... <laughs> yeah oh. <You're... laughs> yeah that, that, that Alito alluded to the fact that hey we have a labor shortage we had this abortion thing he's it's the domestic- one that actually made it
0: our domestic yeah. supply of infants,
1: our DSI. What's our DSI? Our DSI. What's the DSI index?
0: <laughs> yeah.
1: I mean, like this is what's so wild. And at a time when we are watching forced birth legislation after forced birth legislation, impending Roe v. Wade, a formula crisis, a surplus of guns and a lack of baby food And a trade policy that is starving children says everything you need to know about our country right now. And I think that talking about how under-resourced people are when it comes to any kind of pregnancy outcome they wanna have, we have an incredible guest who is gonna talk about um, how under-resourced we are and how her organization is helping all people who are um, managing pregnancies.
2: Yep. Joining us is the Deputy Director of All Options, an Indiana-based pregnancy resource center that provides free pregnancy tests, peer counseling, condoms, diapers, baby clothes, abortion funding, and so much more. Please welcome Punam Dreyfus Pai. Punam, thank you for joining us here. Thank we you. are... We are currently in the middle of a terrifying baby formula shortage. And as an organization that serves as a resource for families, what are you hearing from the people you serve about trying to access formula?
3: That's a really good question. Um, What we've been hearing, I think, is not dissimilar from what folks are saying sort of nationwide, right? Like, so we, we provide a national talk line, but I think the place where we hear the most from families is at our Pregnancy Resource Center in Indiana. And what they're saying is like, do I dilute? formula to stretch it out longer. Like where can I find safe alternatives? Um, You know, a lot of people are on formula because of milk allergies, like all kinds of things. Right. So yeah, the, I so I will say, I didn't know you were going to ask for specific resources. So I didn't, I didn't come with like a list, but, but I will say that like, you know, it's the formula shortage is like a really Obvious and devastating example of like how all of our lack of supports just compound, right? Mm-hmm. Like this is like people are not breastfeeding one because breastfeeding is not necessarily easy and it is not free unless we're not valuing parents' time, which we never right. do, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but then on top of that, like people are not breastfeeding or chest feeding because uh they have no leave after giving birth, right? right. They're not breastfeeding or chest feeding because they're uh they have medical problems that they have to attend to that that don't allow them to have an infant on them, you know, 12 to 18 hours a day. Um, So what this is doing is just leaving people in the lurch. And like, I've, I've been trying to follow sort of what bills have passed, you know, in the house around like what kinds of supports are going to be made available. But so far, like nothing tangible um, has been passed. That's going to put more formula on the shelves, right? For folks, we don't know how long folks are going to be managing this shortage, which is
1: just heartbreaking. Also, as people are desperate, there's always some incredible shitwad who will try to make a dime off of poor folks, right? Trying to do it, right? Which means people are going to be saying, I'll spend any amount of money on getting formula, which means then I no longer have budget for. Diapers and other medicine and all that other kind of stuff, which is where y'all come in. Oh, rent, all of it.
3: (laughs) Right, right. And we do, I mean, we we have at different points operated um, as a milk bank um, at our Pregnancy Resource Center. I don't think we're currently able to do that because of COVID. I think that really stopped- that process um, just because we're trying to keep things as contactless as
2: possible. Just to but clarify for people, a milk bank is when people who are breastfeeding or chest feeding donate any surplus they have to somewhere. Right. So in a time where we're having a global wow. pandemic, it could be really dangerous to share that with someone. Um, and maybe it couldn't. We don't know enough about breast milk to make that determination. And the safest thing to do is to not give random milk to random babies when in not a pandemic, it's a really great and beautiful thing.
3: Right. Right. Exactly. Um And there are like wonderful communities who sort of try to figure out, you know, how to how to make that happen still. But again, as an organization that can't like test breast milk, it feels really dangerous to put that on offer. Um, So we haven't been doing as much on that front, but um, but we have been providing so, so, so many families, so many diapers because diapers are not covered by WIC or SNAP. Um, and one in three families has diaper need, right? Which means that they can't put their kids in childcare, they can't work full time, they can't get any number of things that they need because they have to prioritize keeping their babies like diapered and healthy, right? What I'm
0: what I'm especially hearing through what you're saying, Funam, and what's resonating is that this is all stress. That is compiling for someone who, in your case, it might be multiple people, might be someone who already has an existing family and they're figuring out their parenting process or and or they're coming for pregnancy outcome information um, and looking at pregnancy options. Can you talk about the sheer economic demands that pregnancy and parenting have have to force upon individuals and why abortion is actually an economic issue?
3: One hundred percent. I mean, sixty percent of people that are having abortions are already parents, right? So that means that they are cognizant of the fact that that this is a country that doesn't provide a whole lot of supports that are tangible and meaningful, um, and that will actually support their families in thriving. Um, and so they're looking at their reality and thinking, like, can I bring another child into this world? Can I care for them the way I would like to be able to care for them? And the answer is no. Um, the studies that are out there have shown that like people would consider a wider range of options if they had the resources and the support to do so. And they don't, we don't do that for them. Um, and there, are, there's like a long rabbit hole. We could go down on that front. I side. know why, but you know, put on we were just talking earlier,
1: um, you know, Janet Yellen about Janet Yellen, speaking before the Senate uh, this week about abortion being an, an economic issue and A, watching the senators refuse to believe it Mm -hmm. and and then secondarily be shocked that she would dare say it. Mm -hmm. And how is it that we are in a spot in the in this time and place that people don't understand that pregnancy outcomes are the number one economic issue?
3: I mean, I can't. I can't speak to how we're in that spot because I, I, it, it bubbles me truly, right? Like it feels <laughs> really obvious and logical, but like having a family costs money. Um, <laughs> what? Yeah. What? How dare you put a price tag on family? Yes. Yeah. Living in this world costs money, whether you have a baby or not, right? Whether you raise children or not, like just operating in this world, is an expensive endeavor, especially in the United States, especially as like all kinds of bullshit happens with like housing prices and, and food costs and like, just, you know, everything is just going up in price. Right. But our wages are not increasing accordingly. Mm, no, <laughs> uh, the cost of living in like increases have not been made. Right. So we're living, we're living in a time where things are extraordinarily expensive and there are no supports and supports are being actively pulled back and actively restricted, Right. So like I, I don't. I could be going on a limb here, but I don't think the senators are unaware that that's a reality, that that's like an, that it's an economic issue. I think they don't want to tackle it that way because mm-hmm. it's a lot easier to marginalize people when you say that it's an issue for these people, not an issue for all
2: mm-hmm. people, Right.
3: Right. It's a lot easier to keep people oppressed that way.
1: I think that also- is so crucial to remind folks, you know, because the way that we talk about abortion as a whole has been, oh, people just didn't know these things. And it's starting to be revealed that they do in fact know and they don't prioritize it.
3: That's, that's absolutely true. I think that's, I mean, I mean, that is in large part why we do, why we do the work we do at all options, right? Because the conversation, we can't, we we can't uncouple like certain parts of people, people's experiences from other parts of people's experiences like that just and we can't privilege some and not privilege others like it just doesn't mm. it doesn't make sense to us to to operate that way which is why we like our services are purposefully holistic right because we for us it also felt like if we're saying we'll pay for something related to your pregnancy thing but we won't pay for this other thing then we're basically telling you you really only have one option you don't have all options mm-hmm. so you only have one option and that's the option we're willing to put money behind right and so like how does that actually allow people to make true choices, right? It
2: doesn't. Um, So... I love that you are a pregnancy resource center. And of course, when we think of that phrase, we think of these fake clinics that are often places that these senators would think like, oh, let's give these money to these fake places that give people one option or no options. Um, Let's give money to these places that shame and spread misinformation about pregnancy options. And basically, all they want to do is talk you out of having an abortion, if that's what you're considering it. Actually, when I I was pregnant, one time I was pregnant, I had an abortion, but I ended up at a fake clinic first. And that was wild. (laughs) Yeah, it was it was very wild. And basically they were trying to run out the clock in my pregnancy to a point where I couldn't access abortion. And it took me two weeks to realize that. And then I was like, let me find a real doctor. (sighs) And that's great. My my story ended up great. I had the abortion I needed and it was wonderful um, in Manhattan. But you guys are not that kind of crap. So can you like you've talked a little bit about milk banks and other things that you do, but can you tell us the kind of resources you provide to pregnant people who may or may not be considering abortion?
3: Sure. So um first of all, I'm sorry that happened to you. That's shitty.
2: It was 20 years ago. I'm okay. <laughs> still,
3: still, it's still shitty. I'm sorry it happened. It shouldn't have happened. Um, um yeah. So, uh, so All Options is a lot of things. Um, All Options in Indiana specifically uh, runs uh, a pregnancy resource center in Bloomington, which is right in the center of the state. We're um, actually the southern part of the state, excuse me. Um, I'm in Oakland, California, so my geography is not amazing. Um, but we opened our, our doors to that center in 2015 because we uh, had been operating a national top line since 2004. And what we heard was, like people coming to us to talk about their pregnancy experiences, but that they were so linked. Right. So like somebody who was dealing with a miscarriage was like reminded of a past abortion experience and didn't know if they could talk to us about both of those things and how they felt connected or somebody who um, was an adoptee was like grappling with like new parenthood themselves and trying to figure out like, is this a place where I can talk to you about all of these things? Right. And so it became clearer and clearer that like in our movement, there wasn't a space where people could come and get free support for any of their options, mm-hmm. right? Like you could go to one place if you if you need um, diaper support, you could go to another place if you needed abortion funding, but it is rare that those places are under the same roof and like one-stop shop, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and so for us, it felt like, why should crisis pregnancy centers get to like hoard that that model of like free supportive care when that's not what they're doing? Right. Like that's not, you know, what we know to be true is like in Indiana, there's a crisis pregnancy center down the street that offers no more than like five diapers to people,
2: which
0: that's a day.
3: That's not even a day. <laughs> like, If you have a newborn, that's half a day. Right. <laughs> um, I have two kids. I mean, but
0: kid. but we <laughs> ration pads and tampons. We make people do that in this country. So I guess diapers, it's like, yeah, from the same
3: thought process, diaper
0: right? to the mm-hmm. grave. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, exactly. also when we were working with a clinic in Hartford, Connecticut, who, uh, as is with many uh, actual clinics and fake clinics, had a clinic within literally we measured an arm's length away. Right. And that fake clinic wouldn't offer patients diapers for their existing children. So people would be like, I'm, I'm, I have children already. Um, Can you help me? And they're like, no, no, we'll only help this, this pregnancy that you have. And it's like, wow,
3: families, hashtag not (laughs) it's an incredible, it's, it's an incredibly deceptive set of practices and it's intentional, right? Like the point is to, to stop you from having an abortion. It's not to provide any kind of support for your family or for you. It's really to stop you from having an abortion. Um, mm-hmm. So for us, it feels like we put the diaper bank um, and we put the abortion fund in the same spot, right? So you can, yes. you can choose whatever you want and actually more and more of our um, abortion fund clients are also, again, since their parents are also opting into our diaper our diaper program as well. So we can send them diapers too. Cause we're not like, Hey, we'll pay for your abortion, but we don't care about your family. <laughs> right? Like, right. We do actually like we we can, and we do want to support your kiddos. Um, if they're in diapers, so let us help you do that too. Um, and I, I, I love that. Um,
1: You know, I just want to just stop you for a second and I want to, I want to just give this overview. So mm-hmm. you do, you have a diaper bank, you have an abortion fund, You have a you have two different you have a talk line and a counseling line. And and I'd love for you to talk about um, because I really love that folks can talk to you about how they're feeling about their pregnancy um, and they can talk to a counselor if they come from a faith faith based perspective or they can talk to you pre-abortion, pre-deciding whether they're going to have one or having some feelings just around if they've already had an abortion. And will you talk a little bit about for those people who are listening right now, who are like, have never had anyone to talk to before. Mm -hmm. What's something that you could say to them to have them maybe engage with, with your talk lines or how they should, or how they can find support. Yeah. Well, the,
3: the thing that I think is beautiful and unique about the all options talk line, the national talk line in particular is that uh, you can call us at any point in your life. Like you don't have to be imminently making a decision. You don't have to be like just having had a pregnancy outcome, right? Like a birth or an abortion. You can call us 20 years from now. If you're like, well, you know, say your abortion happened 18 years ago, let's say that instead. Um, you can call us and be like, something's come up for me and I I need to talk about it. And our counselors will hold space for you in exactly the same way they would for anybody else. Um, so I think that's particularly important, right? That it's like, you don't have to heal on anybody's timeline except your own. And you don't have to process your feelings on anyone's timeline except your own, right? Um, And I'll say the talk line exists because like we as a culture really prioritize talking over listening, right? Talking more, Mm -hmm. talking louder. um, And so we don't have a lot of practice with listening. So like the amount of people who don't have someone in their lives that they can just talk to and be listened to with curiosity and respect, who will trust them, like trust the person who's calling to make the best decision for themselves. Right. And like, who really believe in that, um, it's, it's sadly fewer than we'd like, right. Like it to be, that's mm-hmm. exactly, like sadly, not as common as we'd like it to be. And so, yeah, go ahead.
2: No, go ahead. no, go ahead. I, you Please. I want you to finish. <laughs>
3: no, just that, just that. Um, so, you know, when you call our talk line, you're talking to to peer counselors who have been trained extensively in pregnancy, parenting, abortion, and adoption issues and miscarriage and infertility as well. Um, and, and how to hold space for those experiences and how those experiences intersect with other um, other identities and other experiences, right? So like we cover intimate partner violence and how that impacts pregnancy. We, we cover, <clears throat> excuse me, we cover um, uh, mental health and like what that looks like for people who are pregnant, what that looks like for people who are parenting, what that looks like for people um, who have had an abortion, mostly just to to let folks know that there's no link between abortion and then future <laughs> yeah. future depression or anxiety, fertility, right? yeah, right. Um, but you know, we cover we cover like such a wide range of those things because we want our our peer advocates to be prepared to hold space for for anyone who calls. Um, but the reality is, the skills don't really change across all calls, right? The skills are really like deep listening like validate this person's experience and like, don't try to rush them through their feelings, right? Don't try to fix it. Just be with them, be with them and tell them that they're not alone and tell them that they're good people because they are. They're good people making tough decisions. They're good people navigating hard feelings and everyone deserves support
2: for those things. I, really I love this because I feel like people going through any sort of reproductive something—it's the thing people choose <clears throat> choose to or feel they have to go through alone. And I think that with my friends um, who are all like you know have some degree of privilege and access. It's like you find out six months later that oh yeah we were trying IVF for two years or we had sub- multiple miscarriages or all of these things you find out after the effect and people just sort of suffer silently in these spaces oh. and don't feel like they can talk to the mm-hmm. people in their life that they talk to about other stuff. So I I love this.
3: That's right. I had um a a person who's close to me once asked me like have I experienced a miscarriage and then asked me like is it okay that I'm feeling grief? Cause I'm only like eight weeks long. And I was like, of course, it's okay that you're feeling whatever you're feeling. Like, I don't want you to be in pain but your feelings are normal and valid and okay. Um, and then I gave her the talk line number and she actually called and I was really excited about that. Cause I was like, you know, a lot of people in my life know what I do but I'm like, I, I trust the people with whom I work enough to give them, give the number to like people in my life that I care about deeply because I know that they'll be held so beautifully and so compassionately.
1: Poonam, how do you, um, what is your, what is your organization's processes for people who may be asking for more support than you can offer? Maybe they, they are, you know, seeking, um, you know, through the conversations, maybe it turns out that they're seeking, um, they maybe want to have ongoing therapy or they're, or they're, they're
3: thinking about um, going deeper. How do you, how do you guide them? That's a good question. Um, I mean, like we we have vetted resources so we can direct people mostly to national resources because again, um, we're national talk line, resources can be like hyper localized and so and can change constantly. So we send mm-hmm. people to like the national organization for a blank and they usually have like a directory that will direct people to the local spots. Um, so we can help folks find a little bit closer to what they're looking for. But um, I think the way that we can be most helpful is to be really clear about what's our lane and what's our, what's not right. So like, we're not trained therapists, we're peer counselors, right? So these are people who um, care deeply about doing this work, care deeply about counseling. Many of our advocates have pregnancy, parenting, abortion experiences themselves. um, But we're not, we're not trained therapists, right? And so we don't want to say that we can offer something we can't, but we can help connect you to things that you might be looking for. And I think that's the, that's the thing, but you'd be surprised actually how few people, about a third of our callers actually don't want any resources at all. Like we are the resource for them. Like they just wanted somebody to talk to. Um, mm-hmm. they just wanted to, talk to. Um, and to me that says like, you know, sometimes we get advocates who are like our resource list isn't enough. Like there's so many more resources that we should have. And the reality is like, we're never going to have every single resource for everybody, but we can keep doing well what we know we do um, and what we know we can do well. Um and and then connect people to the people who are in charge of like the other services that folks need. Um and let that let that be. Um you asked me also about the the clergy counseling line. I don't know if you want me to still speak to that too.
1: Yeah, sure. Absolutely. Yeah.
3: Yeah. So Faith Allowed uh, was its own entity. Um, It was born out of the Missouri Religious Coalition for Reproductive Rights. It was an independent organization um, that did a lot of different kinds of faith-based (laughs) advocacy work, Um, but they uh, closed their doors in 2015. Um, And so we, having operated a talk line at that point for over 10 years, were like, okay, we have the infrastructure to hold a clergy counseling line. So we'll take the clergy counseling line and keep that alive um, because it's a really important advocacy space, but it's also so important for so many callers who um, are making pregnancy decisions or who have had an abortion or thinking about an abortion. And it, you know, feels deeply in conflict with their with their faith um, or what their religious community is telling them. Right. And so speaking to a clerical authority more than a person who can just listen to their conflict, but like really speaking to a clerical authority can be something that is necessary for some folks. And, um, and so Faith Allowed does that, right? We have clergy counselors who will answer the phone and affirm for you that you're a good person, that you're still a person of faith if you're having an abortion, that good people of faith have abortions all the time, right? And like, that's, that it doesn't have to change their relationship with God um, if they have one and if they want to keep having one.
0: That's wonderful. Thank you. We've got, we're running out of time right now, but I wanted to ask you what are ways folks can um, contribute and support your organization, support all options?
3: Great question. I mean, I think the obvious one is donate. (laughs) Please give us your money. Um, No, but I think, I mean, the other things I would say like we do trainings for community providers who work with pregnant people who want to like develop their counseling skills, especially their pregnancy options counseling skills. So that's another spot that I think is really valuable if you're a provider and you work with pregnant people and you want to deepen your skills and be as open-hearted and non-judgmental as possible, I think we are a great resource for that. Um, I think, uh, you know, if you want to be a top line advocate, if volunteering is of interest to you, we can talk about that too. We usually run our volunteer cycles tw- twice a year. So we just finished our spring training. We have 10 new amazing advocates to add to our powered by 40 advocates top line. Um, wow. And- yeah, which is great. They're all volunteers are all over the country. They're amazing human beings. Um, and they do beautiful work every day to support folks. Uh, my cat is about to interrupt this call. I apologize.
1: No, it's okay. I, like I think that on the table. I think the good news is um training folks to work on the talk line is gonna be, I think, um, part of as we do Operation Save Abortion and we have like training days and advocacy ideas. That is one of them that's going to mix. So hopefully we'll be able to bring you more
2: folks to be able to train um, in that. So, yay. Awesome. Thank you. Thank you, Panam. Your work is so crucial right now. Please support all options at all options.org. Also. It is time for Six Degrees of Abortion. This is where we test Liz's theory that anything in the world can be connected to abortion. Marie and I pick a new story and Liz has one, two, three, four, five, six tries to connect it to abortion. Hey, Marie, you want to lay out the story for Liz? What you got for me?
0: Yes, Liz. So. Researchers, scientists have been puzzled over why some octopuses torture themselves after mating. And apparently this looks more like um, they're like chewing on themselves. They're self-cannibalizing. They attack their mate. And it's been found that after mating, the the mother octopus, quote unquote, um, the octopus capable of pregnancy has some glands that go into overdrive. And this creates like frenzied anger and a feeling and it results with them. Yeah. Self-harming or harming the octopuses that they're with. I find octopus very interesting. Um, and you found this article, yes. And provided to us we really don't have much updates beyond this. They've just found out it's a gland in their head. What we're asking for you to do is tie octopuses to abortion. Octopuses oh.
2: to abortion.
0: Octopuses. octopuses. <laughs> it's not octopuses. no, just
2: octopuses. octopuses, just octopuses. I just wanted to say octopuses. I think
1: it's octopi.
2: It's a, uh, it might. It's be. not
0: octopi. It's octopuses. It's, it's octopuses. Yeah, I it's like not, to say octop- it's not octopi. Octopi is not correct.
2: Can we just say um, octopuses and call it a day?
0: I mean, (laughs) octopusy wasn't
2: octopusy a James Bond? It was a James Bond thing, yeah. So, and it's not that, yeah. yeah.
1: And I can't use that as my tie. No,
0: you you definitely cannot. Cannot (laughs) octopuses. (laughs) Uh,
1: I would say that octopuses have cognitive brain power that is more has more clarity than republicans <laughs> and republicans <laughs> want to ban abortion <laughs> and therefore to a the system abortion um
0: that's entirely not but i love that the sentience, uh, the, sentience the sentience
1: alone <laughs> i know i feel it's like that's not really city. working <laughs> i know i feel like you're not buying that no, um
2: not but i love the sentience
1: I mean, I do feel like rage glands and, and rage hormones that need to be managed are um, they don't have uh, treatment for bipolar disorder in, it sounds like, octopuses. <laughs> um, I might not be able to tie octopuses to abortion. You guys may have stumped me this week. Uh, Can you? Yes. Can you tie octopuses to abortion?
2: Um, I or are I you just to... reveling in the fact that I can't? We're reveling, but I think I think we can do it as a team. Actually, um, I think I have a I think I have a walk a walk wait. You to, do? I think I have oh. a way that we could we could do it as a team. I feel like I have a walk to like just bring octopuses to humanity, which is in the movie Finding Dory. Hank Azria <laughs> plays the part of an octopus. And is he pro choice? I have no idea, but he's a human being. You oh, know you know about what? Hollywood and me. Take it from Hank, there. Here's, I can do it. <laughs> Hank okay. Hank. Hank Azaria was on okay. the Sim, was a voice on The
1: Simpsons. Yes. Dana Gould is a comedian who was a writer on The Simpsons. And Sam Simon, who was one of the creators of The Simpsons, and I did a panel discussion together. So there we We did go. it as a
2: team. So you we
1: didn't did it do as a team. it. I didn't we do it. We did it. We, we can did t- it! We did it! We can tie octopuses to abortion, and that is the most important thing. So, um, I feel like that uh, is that very not a exciting. win
2: for Liz. That was not it a was win. not a
1: win for me. No, <laughs> it is a lose for me. It's Very depressing.
2: It's time to tell you all about our newest fake sponsor. Do you find unity you protection from you? Of course you do. <laughs> and the app Smear Surveillance System is the app that stops you and your uterus from committing crimes. You track your period and will track everything else. If you're like me, you've been looking for a way to help the government surveil your uterus, but every app you tried either had a glitch or was just riddled with ads. Well, for 2 dollars a month, this government-issued tracker will monitor your suspicious activity and stop you from breaking the law heading to the doctor for an IUD, trying to order abortion pills online, the app smear surveillance system will track you, then arrest you before you do crime on yourself. The app's Smear Surveillance System has many amazing features like canceling suspicious medical appointments and helping the government decide if your miscarriage happened in accordance to the laws of your community. If you order now using the promo code hashtag jailabitch, we will throw in the transvaginal ultrasound attachment for free. That's a $400 value. And the peace of mind of doing your random state-manded spot checks at home is priceless. So. Avoid making the mistake of exercising unlawful acts of bodily autonomy by downloading the app smear surveillance system today. Wow. I that know. almost isn't fake. <laughs> I just, it feels so real. And I also love the visual of oh uh, attaching your, your transvaginal probe to your iPhone lightning cord.
1: <laughs> yeah, 100%. Ah! Just like as a bonus but you know these period apps are really tracking people yeah. that actually made me want to take a silkwood shower and i think i, I think I, let's transition to some comedy because we have somebody who will deliver you can see her on yearly departed or search party now streaming on amazon and hbo max and you can hear her on the animated series the great north on fox and comedy central's fairview please welcome the hilarious abortion stand aparna Nuncharla.
4: aparna Ooh. hi aparna hi hello hello everyone how are, you? how are you doing um you know i'm hanging in there I, every time I open up the news, I'm just like, I can't, I can't, I don't know. My brain is like, you know, you go through all the emotions and then you're like, are there other emotions that I haven't accessed yet? It feels like.
2: And then you get new news and it's a new emotion.
4: Yes, exactly. It feels like I should have discovered another one at this point.
2: Yeah, I think that's
1: right. I think um, it's, it's one of those things too, where. I'm always curious as to, you know, we were out on the road in Nebraska pre-COVID. And and remember we were talking and it was like, this is the worst it's ever been. It's so bad. And now it's the worst it's ever been. And so (laughs) I'm just wondering how you're processing all of it, especially, you know, people who have multiple shit going on you know you're a woman you're a person of color you are you know it's you're just a target by so much white supremacy that how do you get up every day and make the world work
4: i mean i i also like i do inhabit all those identities but i also feel like i have a lot of privilege and like i i have a career where i can work from home and like i have you know a steady partner i have you know access to finances i didn't like when i was starting out so i i also feel sometimes just a lot of guilt of like not feeling like part of what a lot of my community is experiencing in a more real way um so, I think that is also like balancing guilt versus like action and like what can I do with my platform and how can I be most helpful to these struggles, even if they might not be things I'm experiencing in the most direct way that I maybe would at another point in my life, or that might be happening to someone I know or in my community.
1: But, you know, I think that we can't stress enough, like thanking you and all the comics that we work with, because by simply doing a show and gathering people in a room for an evening of joy and being able to mix that evening with information that is helpful to them and also empowers them to be part of the change. um, It's huge. I think that sometimes we look we don't look at the easy stuff that we already know how to do and think yeah. of it as, as a solution. And so always know that when you say yes, it's a huge thing because it brings in new people every time who then right. in turn become activists.
4: Yeah, which I, I think it is a, a lot of what it is these days is like remembering like what piece I'm occupying in all of this and like how. How can I stay motivated versus get like fall into despair, which is uh no offense one of my specialties, so <laughs>
1: <laughs> you are real good at despair. you are like
4: chef's so, kiss on despair, yeah, yeah, anxiety and despair just really been working on them my whole life and really reached a, a could teach a master class at this point. <laughs> We saw you, Maria, and I saw you uh, about a month ago. We were at this
2: Rubbish Comedy event, which was like the weirdest collection of dance and comedy I have (laughs) ever experienced. Yes. And uh, you were hilarious. You did like a duo with a friend
4: where you. Yeah, me and my my friend Joe Firestone. Yeah, we were trying to pivot into becoming DJs, which we feel like is an art form that really gives back in a way. Possibly more than comedy, I would say. And actually less sexism. Much, Ah, yeah, uh, way less. less, I don't even think they know what that is.
2: No, because it's just is. Yeah.
4: yeah. (laughs) But (laughs) I brought that up
2: because it was such like the the whole night, but especially you guys was such wild, wacky fun. Like
4: it was, was, there
2: was a dance contest. And we actually thought we were going to see you a few days later because you did judge Marie and I. Uh, at the dance contest. And so oh, we have feelings. Oh cause my gosh. That live.
4: was the most panic inducing <laughs> part of the evening where they were like, and now you must judge people's ability to <laughs> have joyful movement. And it's only like you know 50 people. <laughs> it's,
0: like, yeah. Yeah. it's 50 people. Most of us are drinking. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. It's like
1: Bikram yoga when they have those contests. It's like yoga and cont-
4: contest. Yoga. yoga.
1: No exactly. In real yoga there is not.
4: In this yeah, guy's yeah. world
1: uh, there is. I wow. mean and you're just like, "Oh my god, what kind of racket?" When you can take something that's literally the just trying to like connect to your own skin and make yeah. it a
4: competition i mean i think the big old guy wasn't even a white guy right
2: no he, he was an even, indian no. guy he was I a brown guy he,
4: which sucks i know i like can't even be like, like white worse. people ruined it yep. yeah, yeah <laughs> no no nope. yeah
1: and he wear nope. that big old diaper like it was a oh, mess Oh no, it was a mess there was a it was a it was i don't know how we got there but we did get there uh,
2: <laughs> anyway <apart laughs> it, it was fun being judged by you. And uh, yeah, just so you know, Marie and I take it really personally that we didn't win. <laughs>
4: That's fair. That's fair. I mean, nothing can sustain a life like a grudge, you know? <laughs>
1: <laughs> 100%. Um, but
4: you know, you kid a lot, you're kidding about anxiety and
1: depression and stuff. But like, I think that your social media, you're talking about it is really helpful. And you are somebody who during COVID, during isolation, everybody I know went through like multiple levels of just like emotional shit with, with, with all of it. And you helped a lot of people cope. I want to know how you coped in it because it's like real. And when you have it and it's compounding, how did you deal? I mean, I guess with a partner and all that, but
4: still. Yeah. I mean, you know, therapy, going for walks, like all the, I think we all sort of discovered a lot of things together as a group of like, now we're in our bread phase, you know, like we were all (laughs) sort of (laughs) healing slash, uh, you know, suffering together. But I do think there was, there was a point at which I had to kind of step back from social media myself because it did feel like the internet already can occupy such a big part of your life. But when you're really not able to, you know, balance that with in-person interaction and community, like it can really feel like it is the whole world is just the internet. And I do feel like the internet went even more off the rails during the pandemic Mm -hmm. than usual, just because everyone was like, this is my only form of an outlet right now. Um, so I mean that, I don't know if that's counterintuitive to be like, yes, it's good to find support on the internet, but also remember there's more to life than the internet and, and don't like, let it suddenly be like your only worth or like how you show up in the world. So I want to know you were hilarious on yearly
1: departed. Oh,
4: thanks. So So
1: funny. funny. But like, I want to know how you chose what you were going to talk about because I would be fighting people I think for like certain areas of the year to like take down how did you decide
4: well little peek behind the scenes they don't let you pick they're like (gasps) yeah no They're like, we thought of this for you. They're like, we thought of shut-ins and we said Aparna. um." (laughs) We saw your background. (laughs) This eggshell. No pictures. We saw how you live and we knew you had to talk about. We
1: figured, yeah, you had nothing. That is you.
4: Yeah. We were trying to
1: think if you knew about anything else other than being isolated. Yeah. Um, Okay, so if you could have picked for yourself, What would you have chosen?
4: That's a great question. Now, because it was 2021, I'm like, what even was 2021? I know, 40 Um, years ago. Everything is, I mean, mean, maybe this was 2020, but but I would probably something to do with time because I really don't have any sense of what time is anymore. So I'm probably like, let's, time is done. Time is canceled.
1: (laughs) I thank God time is canceled because that makes me feel relevant somehow which I, I do enjoy. Um, also you have been doing so much animation work, which is really fun.
4: Yeah. I mean, very pandemic friendly voiceover. Mm -hmm. So I think that has been helpful. Like I think there was a bit of a boom in people being like, what can we do where people don't have to actually be there? Um, But yeah, it's been fun. I mean, everyone says the funnest thing about voiceover is like, you know, you don't have to you can show up in your pajamas and and do it. But it's also just fun to like I do a voice on this uh, show by some writers, Wendy Molyneux and Lizzie Molyneux, sisters who did Bob's Burgers. And yes. they created a show called Great North about a family yes. in Alaska. Yeah, <laughs> and it's just fun to be on like a family comedy, and you get to like play off the other comedy actors, and just like I play a eight year old boy. Yeah, and yeah, I was like, that's. I mean, when I was eight, all I wanted to be was a little eight year old white boy. So this is working out <laughs> great. Hundred <laughs> um, percent.
0: So I was. Go, Henry. Oh, go on. It's fine. Nope. I was just going to say, I was, I watch Great North. So I was yeah. especially excited to see you on that. I first saw you on Butterboy. So like, it was cool seeing Whoa. like, this is my own mini evolution of you. And yeah. your range is amazing. And I oh, just okay. wondered like what upcoming performances, like, are we going to see you avant garding out and about here in the streets <laughs> soon? Oh um, my gosh. What are you would, up for?
4: Well, as you know, I am going to, you know, become a DJ so that, look out for that. Um, No, I've actually, my biggest pandemic project was working on a book, which again, very pandemic friendly, but it's a book about, um, it's a book of essays, but it's a book about my lifelong struggle with imposter syndrome, which Mm -hmm. is very uh, much a like Sisyphusian task to try to write a book about (laughs) imposter syndrome, which I learned the hard way. A hundred percent, because you have- you can't write the book
1: because yeah. of imposter syndrome. Exactly. It took me, I had a book deal. It took me at 18 months. Yeah. I didn't for the first 12 months. Yeah. I cried every day oh, yeah. wondering why anybody would give me money mm-hmm. to write anything down about what I did. And I was like, wait, I've done more shit than the half the men that make five times more than me. Why am I, what is happening? But, oh my God, I cannot wait to read that. That is very valuable.
4: Yeah, thank you. And I, I I mean, just in reading so much about imposter syndrome while I was writing the book, it is like, you know, disproportionately experienced by women and women of color, even though a lot of people suffer from it. But it's like, yeah, why do we always discount ourselves from every thing that many like straight white cis men are just like, yeah, why not me? You know, like Why? Why should my lack of experience not let me run this company? I thought about that
2: when you were talking earlier and you were like, um, you know, I have a partner and I have all this privilege in my life. And yet I feel like bad sometimes that I'm not struggling the way that maybe people think I should struggle. And I'm like, yeah, but only the most self-assured of white men don't have that.
4: (laughs) Yeah,
2: yeah. Everyone else is like oh, I can eat today, but maybe not yesterday. So I guess I'm doing okay. And, I know. Yeah. I uh,
4: you know.
1: know, one time I, um, this is years ago, I um, did a pilot with Whoopi Goldberg. We, we wrote a pilot together. Oh, wow. And she was on Hollywood Squares. Oh. And I was like, I said to her, like, why are you doing Hollywood Squares? Like you are, <laughs> you know, you've won a Tony. I, like you've just done all this really great work and she said when you're 13 and a crack addict you never want to be that again so i can't connect to how much i've made that i'm really out yeah. of it i'm still that i still have that person inside of me that suffered so profoundly and i and just guaranteeing that i'll never get back there might be an endless goal for me and i just yeah. thought it was really interesting that we don't think about those things and and i in, in fact somebody was just saying recently that how much time people who have been harmed as a child spend just mm-hmm. trying to manage through that stops them yeah. from thriving in ways that other people have not you know when you forget that about yourself that you have to right. teach yourself to survive and that occupies a lot of space
4: Yeah. I mean, it's an ongoing journey. I feel I like still have trouble just even like feeling my feelings, which is like, you know, therapy 101. And there was a point at the pandemic, I remember where I was, you know, doing therapy from home. And my therapist was like, just sit in the sadness, like, let's just you're feeling sad. So let's just like quietly sit with it, which is you know, was excruciating for me, but we were like sitting quietly. And then this like ice cream truck loudly went past my apartment, just loud, like jangling, happy music. And we were just like sitting there trying to feel sad quietly. And it just felt, I was like, this is the universe being like, fuck your sadness. This is I love it.
1: (laughs) You know, Aparna, one of the things I think is so interesting is your openness to your own vulnerability in your shows, in your performance, in your work, but you're also not afraid to call shit out. Like, do you get, um, do you get a lot of backlash when you talk about like, you know, these horrible men comedians who are out there in the world, just thriving and being terrible or just like calling up politicians. and, And when you do say something, how do you, A, do you get a lot of shit and blowback for it? And B, how do you process it?
4: Yeah. I mean, I think I I get a fair amount of the usual, like people, I don't know. Like, I feel like online, especially if you like comment on a certain topic, it just immediately brings in a whole contingent of people who seem to just have a keyword. Like anytime someone talks about this, I'm going to comment, but, uh, I think I have a harder time, honestly, with the people where it feels like you're mostly aligned with them, but then you like somehow misstep in one area that maybe you weren't like aware of, or like you have a a spot where you could have learned more. And I think that that is more what gets me where I like maybe disappointed a, a fan where they really thought I was like fully in line with them, but then you know, I'm a human and I make mistakes. So I think those are the ones that get to me more. But but I think it is, you know, a thing of like, we're all learning. We're all trying to do better. Like I had jokes I did when I started comedy that I would never do now. Like it, it is an ongoing thing. And I think with comedy, especially it's tricky because people say things now and they they might be taped at a show. And then it's like, oh, I can't believe this comedian made this joke. But you have to kind of, especially with stand up, learn to to kind of own your mistakes or like own that you might learn from something you said, and that's not like the entirety of you as a person or like a, a battle that you're gonna die on every time you open your mouth.
1: Yeah. Well, also, I just think evolving as a comic is the same as evolving as a human, and why yeah. those disconnects happen. I'm always so surprised when it's like. Um, when people double down so hard on, I have a right to say whatever I want. It's like, that's fair, but you edit things constantly. You're writing jokes and you're always making decisions of what you're going to say and what you're not going to say and what you think is funny and not. And like, it's so, if something you decided you wanted to do um, is not received in a way that's awesome, instead of being like, oh, why is that? Let me hear more about that. Um, yeah. It just becomes this attack on their humanity. It's very
4: yeah. weird. Yeah, I mean, I it, it feel a little bit too, like some people just get off on the reaction and they're like, they claim to be like so mad about it. But then I'm like, I think they would be doing worse if there was no reaction. Like they're sort of <laughs> like baiting it, you know? Yeah. Like they, they like, they're, that's like where they get their thrills. Whereas I'm like, conflict, no, please help.
1: <laughs> well, we have to wrap up. It was so great talking to you. But before we go, tell us um, something you're doing right now that is bringing you profound joy that yeah. we might not know.
4: Oh, my gosh. I discovered this show on HBO Max that is like you were saying about the dance show earlier, that was just like wild and wacky and off the wall. It is just this like very absurdist uh, British sitcom called staff. It's so hard to say. It's like a tongue twister. And I feel like they named it this way on purpose. But it's called staff. Let's flats. What? <laughs>
1: staff. Let's. let
4: flats, flats. And what's the like, concept? It's like a guy who who like a leasing agent for apartments because, um you know, they call it letting and then they call apartments flats. But he's just like this sort of incompetent son who works at this uh, leasing agency. And he's always like disappointing his father. But it's just like so funny and absurd. And it's like mm-hmm. nothing is it's like not a dramedy. Like I know comedy is veering into drama these days, but this is just like pure, silly, ridiculous. Like everyone is sort of. Uh, moronic in their own way but also it's like everyone is sort of on each other's team I don't know it's really good and I don't think anyone would like not have a good time with it
2: oh that's a good wreck disorganized chaos I do too I
1: know it's my happy place it's fun I just started watching ghost have you it's a it's this crazy comedy British comedy about this this girl inherits a house from like a great aunt 17 times removed. Cause the aunt was such a cunt that like she had no relatives and never got married. And no one liked her. And the house is inhabited by the most ridiculous ghosts ever. Like oh. some politician that died, um, doing auto asphyxiating masturbating and so he's got half of a suit on and no pants ever and then another guy is like a boy scout leader that's got like an arrow through his neck and like how they all inhabit this house and live there and they're so mad that a new person's moving in um and so they're trying to team up to scare this person away but they're totally bad at it it's yeah, very funny it's that really funny great yeah
4: well aparna <laughs> can we see you performing anytime soon i am i am making my way out of book writing back onto the stage so stay tuned for my next appearance but i do host a weekly a co-host a weekly brooklyn show called butter boy which marie you alluded to earlier that's right and i have yes. been
1: uh, lucky to been a performer on butter yes, boy please which
4: come back i anytime you
1: want me i will butter boy up a bitch i love it so much Aparna, thank you so much for joining us. We always love having you. And let's go back out on the road when COVID's over and solve some problems.
4: Yes. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank
1: you.
0: Thank you again to our guests, Aparna and Poonam. You can follow all options on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at all alloptionsnatl.com. And if you ever need to talk to someone about your experiences with pregnancy, parenting, abortions, and adoption, please call the All Options talk line at 888-493-0092. There is also an option um, for Spanish speakers to call and leave a message and then have a call set up. Thank you so much for listening. We are here for you as we navigate these dark days. We want to be a reliable info hub and a source of humor as we face some really hard times ahead. We are in this together. We got you. Subscribe today, write a review and give us five stars. It's the best way for our podcast to reach more people. And by doing so, you are helping more people learn about this assault on abortion access. To keep up on all the latest repro news, follow us on social at Abortion Front, on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, and YouTube. FBK Live is edited by Tournay and is produced by Abortion Access Front. Email us at
2: podcast at aafront.org. We want to hear from you. And if you send us a great Letters from the Garbage and read it on air, we will send you a
0: shirt. Activism alert. Save the date of July 17th. With all of us panicking about what to do, AAF has a plan. After we march, cry, and write anyone who has ever lectured to anything, we must have a sustained plan to protect abortion access. Join us for the Operation Save Abortion, your Protect Abortion Access training day. Operation Save Abortion. It's not a march. It's your training day. Sign up at operationsaveabortion.com. And while you're there, grab some cool merch.
1: That's right. Wow. You guys have been saying a lot of words. I am very proud of you. you. Uh, <laughs> Uh, we just are going to be doing this incredible comedy show, Broby Wade, uh, with David Cross, John Glazier, John Fugelsang, Dean Obidala, uh, Josh Gondelman. It's going to be an amazing show. And we are doing a very special podcast with each of those fine men to talk to them about what abortion Means for them, how birth control and abortion have benefited them, and why they are abortion stands. That will be June 2nd, and we're super stoked about it.
0: Next week's pods, get pod guests are straight from school and garbage members of Congress. Amy Arabide from Avow, Texas is here, plus, comedian, actor, and regular on Wait, Wait, Don't Tell Me, the hilarious Helen Hong will join us.
1: And lastly, join our Patreon. You'll support great content and get cool FBK merch and experiences. All pledges support this pod and all of our activism at Abortion Access Front. Roe is burning and together we can put this fire out. Pledge at patreon.com slash feminist
2: And we'll leave you with a dude who lives in a world where people are having abortions in the 24th month of pregnancy. Whew. Have a great weekend.
1: Have a great weekend. <laughs> I never have thought that I would see the day that lawmakers would choose that it's perfectly fine and okay to murder a baby after it's been born. In Colorado, it's seven days. In California, they're making the law for 30 days after the baby is delivered. If a lawmaker is making a decision to murder the most vulnerable of our humanity. Then how can we trust those lawmakers? Feminist Buzzkills Live,
2: the podcast from Abortion Access Front. When BS is popping, we pop off. New episodes drop Friday. Listen, subscribe, give us five stars, and join our Patreon at patreon.com/slash feministbuzzkills.